Welcome to the BodyWise podcast, focusing on the new Maudsley carer skills with me, Harriet Parsons, psychotherapist and training and development manager with BodyWise, and Jenny Langley, author of Caring for a Loved One with an Eating Disorder, the new Maudsley skills-based training manual. Each episode in this podcast series will focus on one particular aspect of the new Maudsley carer skills. We will explain the concept, talk through the ideas behind the skill and learn how that particular skill can benefit carers. Welcome to episode four. In this episode, we're going to talk about the famous Maudsley animal metaphors, which help carers to think about how interpersonal relationships can impact the recovery process. As Jenny writes in the manual, the new Maudsley model uses animal metaphors as a light-hearted, yet powerful way of illustrating how carers' initial and instinctive reaction to the eating disorder are not always helpful and can lead carers to inadvertently accommodate to the illness. Jenny, it's lovely to see you again. Welcome. Hi, Harriet. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Jenny, I was thinking about this podcast episode, and I think it's important to preface it by saying that There is no perfect carer and that this part of the new Maudsley model is not about creating the ideal carer. Rather, these metaphors help to facilitate carers' self-reflection on how they're responding to their loved one in any given situation and asking themselves, does this work? And if it doesn't, then what can I change? The animal metaphors offer us a tool and an insight into those changes. Would you agree with that? Um, Absolutely, yeah, I absolutely would. Um, And I just want to start by saying that one of the things I always say to the carers is, so think about this, every caring behavior has a positive intention. So however we're responding to our loved ones with eating disorders, we're always doing it from a position of love and with a positive intention. And it's our ability to be able to reflect and say, "Mm, okay, maybe a week ago, that positive intention was was working out in a positive way, maybe now we've moved on and so it's not quite achieving the same thing. So it's really, really that ability to kind of be continuously reflecting, are we still getting that positive benefit from um, responding to our loved one in this way? Yeah, and that's hard work, isn't it? It is, yeah. So um, I suppose before we start, could you just tell us where the animal metaphors came from? So the lovely Janet Treasure, um, working with her team, so obviously Jill Todd, the clinical nurse working alongside her. So they, they'd been working with um, families for, for many years and they were reflecting, I think just one day they were just, you know, considering sort of how could they help carers to be more self-reflective. And um, between them, they came up with these ideas and they thought, mm, actually, this is a really nice way to be able to um, help carers to, you know, to just be thinking, how am I responding without any concept of guilt or shame or judgment or anything like that. So so it just was an idea that came up, I think, when they were just having a chat one day when they were reflecting on, you know, all the all the kind of families that they've been working with over the past several years. And it's true. I mean, as you say, it is a lighthearted yet powerful way. And it absolutely is, because immediately when we think of the animal, we think of its main characteristics and it really helps us to think about what we're doing. So what are the animal metaphors? 
Okay, so we have the behavioral animals, um, which are the kangaroo, the rhino and the terrier. And we have the emotional animals, which are the ostrich and the jellyfish. And then we have the, um, the ideal, you know, working towards, so not being completely um, this way, one way or another, um, is the dolphin and the St. Bernard. So I'll start with the behavioral ones. So um, we have the kangaroo. So this is the kangaroo. We all think of lovely cuddly kangaroo with its lovely pouch and the carer putting the, the little joey or the young person in their pouch and looking after them. So it's a very, very instinctive caring um, response, isn't it, when somebody is sick. Um, but obviously the problem is that over a long period of time, if someone's sick for more than a few days um, and you keep putting them in your pouch, then of course it can become a little bit overprotective. So you've got the benefits, it's very loving and caring, it's very attentive, the person who's ill feels safe. And then we've got the possible pitfalls is it can be a little bit overprotective, particularly over um, a long period of time, particularly as the person with the eating disorder is coming through to their later stages of recovery. Then we have the rhino. I was all of these, by the way, when I was looking after my son. Then we have the rhino. So the rhino is very logical. Um, and of course, many of us are very logical in our world of work. So I was a city stockbroker and I would be very logical every day with the sales team at the um, city firm I worked with. And they would do exactly what I told them. So buy Glaxo, sell AstraZeneca for these 10 reasons. And they would do that. Now, the trouble with the eating disorder is it's not logical, is it? So if we argue with logic with somebody who's rational mind has been affected by their illness what what we end up doing is we end up having a fierce battle with the illness with the eating disorder voice so you can get this absolute kind of you know furious battleground going on and even when i'm working with professionals i say i say to them have you ever won a logical argument with the eating disorder voice and they'll all say no <laughs> it doesn't work the eating disorder voice is so powerful then we have the terrier who's a little bit similar to the rhino um very noisy and um, whereas the rhino is not so noisy, um, the terrier is very persistent and very loyal and of course makes a lot of noise, so lots of yapping. Um, and I just think of myself as being this terrier with my son, where I was a nag, 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 eat more, exercise less. And of course he would just zone out in the end. So even though I was being persistent and loyal and you know incredible and attentive, um, he would just completely zone out from all the noise that I was I was yapping away with. Um, so those are the behavioural animals. Then we have the emotional animals. So the the ostrich is obviously the the key feature of an ostrich is it puts its head in the sand. Now, of course, sometimes we need to be ostriches because we need to take a break. And it's such an important message for carers is, you know, sometimes sometimes it's really beneficial to be that ostrich, to let other people come in and take over, even if it's only for five or 10 minutes a day, um, ideally more than that. Sometimes we need to put our, our, our head in the sand because we're just so exhausted otherwise. And so, you know, we get wrapped up so much in our, our caring role. So the trouble with the ostrich, if the ostrich becomes the overriding caring response is that our loved ones will feel that we're not noticing them, we don't care about them, and we're not able to help them. So you can see again both sides. Um, and then the jellyfish, of course, is very um, outwardly emotional. And of course, that has a sting in its tail. So we talk a lot in the workshops about emotions and the value of acknowledging and validating emotions um, and even carers showing some vulnerability. But with the jellyfish, it's that losing controlled, becoming emotionally dysregulated. So everybody ends up in floods of tears. And of course, that doesn't help anybody, does it? 
So the idea is that if you recognize in yourself that you've got you're, that you're responding in a particular way um, and maybe, you know, um, the mum is more kangaroo like the dad is more rhino like that often happens, um, then it's reflecting, continually reflecting, is it working? And if it's not working, then the idea is that you try to make little tiny changes that would make you move more towards being the dolphin than the St. Bernard. So the St. Bernard is of course very strong, calm, compassionate. In the face of any avalanche, whatever the eating disorder throws at the St. Bernard, the St. Bernard is there solid. And think about what does the St. Bernard have around its neck? It always has its casket, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. In that casket, it's got some soothing rum or brandy or something like that. That represents the carer's self-care toolkit. So ah. the St. Bernard always has that casket. And that's a really, really important message for carers. But whatever the eating sort of throws at the St. Bernard, the St. Bernard is their solid, that unconditional love, which carers have for their loved ones with eating disorders. And then the lovely metaphor of the pod of dolphins. So you have this lovely pod of dolphins swimming along, baby dolphin swims out into the danger zone. Somebody within the pod, not necessarily the mum or the dad, will swim outside and gently nudge, not a great big whack, that would be more rhino-like, wouldn't it? Not a, not a great big whack, but gently nudge the baby dolphin back in the direction of the safety zone. And of course, if it's very, very murky, that dolphin, the, the guiding dolphin may swim ahead for a little bit, but then as soon as possible, come back alongside and then just keep gently nudging. And then finally, finally, the baby dolphin learns autonomy, independence, to be able to swim back into the safety zone themselves. So you've got this lovely, lovely um, metaphor that always makes people smile, doesn't it? Um, the, the dolphin metaphor. And then overriding all of this is we have this um, metaphor of the herd of elephants. And this was created by a dad. So this didn't come from Janet Treasure originally and Jill Todd. Um, so dad came up with this and he said, the thing about the herd of elephants is that they're the only animal group not led by dominance. So you have the matriarch, but the matriarch is um, very much picking out the strengths of all the elephants in the herd, and then they can all work together to, to support anyone within their herd that might be struggling. So those are the, are the animal metaphors. I love that idea. I love that idea of the herd of elephants. And so, um, Jenny, what, what kind of exercises do you do with carers then to help them reflect on their own caring style? Because I know from my experience in workshops is that, um, you know, carers can feel like they're getting it wrong or they can feel like, oh, they shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be doing that. And it can be a difficult moment when we introduce the animal metaphors. Yeah, so, well, we, we thought a lot about this when we were writing the training manual. And one of the reasons that we, in, we introduced the animal metaphors quite early on, and we, we say there's no right or wrong. So if you're, you know, let's reflect on the advantages of each animal style and the potential pitfalls, not even the disadvantage, potential pitfalls is a nicer way to look at it. And that's one of the exercises in that module three in the training manual, which is all about the animal metaphors. So we're coming from a position that, that there's no sense of this is right and that's wrong. Mm -hmm. it's, there's, there's no sense that you have to be the dolphin, you have to be the St. Bernard. It's mm -hmm. that ability to self-reflect. So most carers are, are very happy with that. Now, the next step that we do in the workshops, as you know, Harriet, is we go on to the more complex accommodating and enabling scale, which mm -hmm. is that series of 33 questions. So I'm sure we're gonna do a podcast on that at some stage in the future. Um, and so it's really important that we kind of do the lighthearted um, 
thinking and reflecting first with the animal metaphors before we go on to the accommodating and enabling scale. Because if we just sent the accommodating and enabling scale to carers and said, fill this in and send it back and we'll mark it, then that really, really would make carers feel that they were being judged or there's a sense of they're doing something wrong, um, especially as, as they're ticking lots of the, the boxes on that accommodating and enabling scale. So the reason the, the reason we do the animal metaphors first is that it is a lighthearted, almost kind of gently humorous way of looking at, at instinctive caring styles. So you go through each animal and you think about, well, what are the advantages of this? So what are the, as you said at the beginning, you know, that good intention that comes out yeah. of caring in that way. And then looking at the, you know, possible pitfalls, I guess, if that doesn't work or if it doesn't suit the situation, you know, what are the possible pitfalls of that? So, um, so what might be then a typical situation that might arise in a workshop? um when you're when you're trying to help carers to think these things through so one of the one of the biggest one of the biggest roadblocks to change is fear isn't it yeah so, so from the person with the eating sort of perspective um fear of letting go of that coping strategy fear that they're going to put on too much weight that they're going to be fat that the eating sort of voice is going to be really really inflamed and of course carers feel that fear as well so often carers will say well I feel really stuck because I fear that if I make a change I'm gonna I might make it worse and I can't bear the thought of making it worse yeah and so that can paralyze carers so we reflect on that you know all the way through the workshops we reflect on the fact that fear can really really hold carers back um, and I always introduce the concept that the only thing more powerful than fear is hope so holding on to that hope um, and we've come up with a kind of acronym so hope is hold on to your optimism, patience and empathy. Um, and that kind of weaves its way through the whole workshops as well. So one of the typical um, situations that often comes up is, is when we're talking about the reassurance trap. Mm -hmm. So the eating sort of, you know, when the eating sort of voice is really loud, the, the person with the eating disorder is likely to seek more and more reassurance, aren't they? Yeah. And the quick fix is to give that reassurance. Will this make me fat? No, it won't make, make me fat, darling. How many calories in a spring onion? there's only 10 calories in a spring onion, it's fine, darling, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, and of course you get caught in the vicious cycle. Um, so often we, we spend a bit, bit more time um, in workshop three, we normally do this when we're doing the accommodating and enabling scale, but we spend a bit more time um, looking at the reassurance trap um, that of course, to start with, all carers are probably going to fall into the reassurance trap because it works to start with. So if you're kickstarting a refeeding program, for example, giving that reassurance can help the person with the eating disorder maybe to, to start to tolerate the distress of, of all the different food that they're eating or the eating sort of voice being, being really loud. But at some point, the carers understand that it's become a trap, it's a vicious cycle, and then how can they consider stepping back from that and becoming more dolphin and St Bernard-like rather than, the, the, if you think about the reassurance trap, it's very kind of kangaroo-like, isn't it? It's very, very protective. It's fine, darling, I'll look after you. I'll keep reassuring you. It will be fine. It will keep the peace. It will keep eating sort of voice quiet. And part of recovery is helping our loved ones to be able to tolerate that distress, um, isn't it, of their own eating sort of voice. So, so very often that's... Um, it's really useful um, to, to really kind of unpick what's going on with the reassurance trap to help carers see, hmm, okay, so I'm not ready to I'm not ready to stop giving the reassurance yet too soon, but at some stage in the future I can see that there would be a clear benefit from doing from doing that. 
And I think that um, the benefit also from having it as a group, maybe that you do a series of workshops with a group, is that it really helps to minimize that fear that carers feel, both in terms of exposing themselves in front of other carers, but also within themselves. Because, I mean, you know, we're used to kind of thinking about this material and practicing it and doing it. But when they're coming to it for the first time, it's a leap of faith. Do they yeah. trust? what we're saying um, or do they just keep on doing what they're doing because that's what they have been doing all along. Um, so having that kind of group behind them um, where everybody is trying to overcome that little bit of fear is really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. The power, the power of having a group of carers together is, is phenomenal, as you know. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever had a group where somebody hasn't been able to say, oh, yes, well, maybe a few months ago, um, we were, you know, we were really treading on eggshells. We were really tiptoeing around and giving loads of reassurance and, you know, pandering to the whim of the eating disorder because we needed to to keep our loved ones safe. Um, and now either our loved ones stopped asking for that reassurance, for example, or we've learned to stand up to it. We've learned that it's much better to say, you know the answer to that question, darling, or that anxiety you're feeling just now, now it's like a wave, it will pass. And so I just sit back and let the carers share their experiences at that stage. And that, that is the power of having groups of carers together. Absolutely. We'll have to do a podcast on the reassurance trap. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It it's such an important it really uh, is. for carers. Yeah. yeah, so, so you know, in that, I suppose you've spoken a lot about the fear and about um, carers struggling with that. So would that be what you observe carers struggling with most in when you do the animal metaphors with them? Or is there anything else? I don't, I, in my experience, um, the carers don't they don't struggle so much with the animal metaphors they struggle more with the the detail of the accommodating enabling um mm -hmm. questionnaire um so generally generally carers are, are, are very able to just take hold of the animal metaphors and 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 reflect and they'll say mm, okay i can see that i'm very kangaroo like at the moment so those three words are so important so at the moment which means that it's working for them at the moment which is absolutely great um, but in their minds, they're sowing the seed for themselves that at some point in the future, it might not be the, the, the most optimum caring response to help their loved one to start to move on from their eating disorder. So it's that it's that self-reflection. It's just it's such a it's such a beautiful way of helping the carers to start to reflect on, OK, this is where we are at the moment and there's a possibility that we can think about change in the future. So there's no expectation that the carers are going to change anything. Yeah. You know, after that one workshop, of course. Yeah, yeah. In the same way, we don't have an expectation that the person with the eating disorder is going to change. Absolutely. That moment yeah. As well, yeah. as well. So then what, what are the real positives that you see carers taking away from it? Well, there's so many, there's so many things. It, it's the main thing is that sowing the seed that, that change is possible and the one person that they can change is themselves. So they've learned by this stage that, that you know, nobody can fix their loved one. Mm -hmm. You know, we can support our loved ones to make their own changes. The person that we can change is ourselves. Yes. And, and we're in a good position to be able to do that. And to be able to, you know, brainstorm this and talk about this in the group setting is obviously so powerful. Um, I just want to say the positives, that there are many positives that 
can come out of the animal metaphors. So there's several different exercises that we can do. We don't always do them. So we always do the advantages of each animal and then the potential pitfalls. But there's other exercises that we do as well. So considering the wider friends and families, so like the whole herd of elephants. So you could, you know, you could have a, you know, a, a family kind of discussion about so which animals are there around the person with the eating disorder at the moment. Um, and some family and friends, as you know, the for some short period of time, it might be a good idea to maybe not have them so involved because they naturally are very rhino-like or, you know, tend, tend to say something that's going to be very triggering for the young person at whatever stage they are in their eating disorder. Um, then there's the one where we think about how does the eating disorder voice respond mm -hmm. to the animals? Mm -hmm. So I've got a couple of examples. So when I'm delivering professionals training, I always, you know, share these examples with professionals. So with the ostrich, so, um, so, so you've got me kind of saying as the carer, I just hoped it was a passing phase. Deep down, I knew it wasn't, but I had no idea what to do for the best. And then my son, Joe, would be thinking, she simply doesn't care about me. She cannot see my pain. I'm not wor worthy of her care. And then we called his eating sort of voice Rex. So Rex would be saying, to my son Joe, mm. she's playing right into our hands and giving me every opportunity to take a real hold. I'm in charge. So you can see that that my ostrich response to my son would trigger a thought from him and then a thought from the eating sort of voice. Similarly with the, the jellyfish. So me, I couldn't stop crying. So we ended up in the never ending cycle of shouting and crying. So my son Joe would be thinking, oh, all this shouting and crying makes me feel so much worse. I'm a terrible person, not worthy of her love. And then Rex, the eating sort of voice, of course, would be in the other ear saying, I'm your friend. Listen to me. Shut out all that other noise that's coming from your jellyfish mum. You know, um, the rhino, I was, I was very much the rhino. So me, I truly thought if I repeatedly told my son to stop exercising and start eating, he would get better. I could fix him. So my son, Joe, would be thinking she never takes a moment to listen to me. Just nag, nag, nag exercising is the only thing that makes me feel better and she just wants me to stop what would I have then and then of course Rex Joe I will always listen to you exercise is so healthy and you're doing so well cutting out all that unhealthy food you will be the best athlete in the world and then of course with the kangaroo so me I spent all day planning what to make for dinner in the hope that he would eat some of it and then my son Ah, she's so on edge, tiptoeing around, giving me food I really don't want or need. She treats me like a baby and doesn't believe I can look after myself. And then, of course, Rex, in his other ear, she is so trying to make you fat. She's trying to kid you by buying special food, but she really just wants to make you fat. So it can be really useful. That's a really useful exercise, thinking, how is your loved one responding to the different styles of caring and and what opportunity does that give to the eating sort of voice so there's lots of this there's you know four different types of workshops within the, well, sorry exercises within that module in the, in the training manuals there's lots of things you can do with the animal metaphors yeah that's really really helpful jenny i you know just to be able to encapture it like that is so so helpful and um you know, one of the things that I see when we do the animal metaphors in the workshops is that kind of aha moment as well, when they realize that um, their person with the eating disorder is not just interacting with them, they're interacting with wider family, mm. with, um, at school, with teachers or at college or at work, um, at, you know, and then you've got 
clinicians, whoever they're interacting with, and that all of those people themselves are responding in, in these different ways. And so, you know, at any point in time, their person with the eating disorder is having to deal with all of those different animals. Um, and I think that that's why I love the herd of elephants metaphor so much, because it's 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 the idea of all of those different um, animals working together. So they're all working together. And um, and that kind of prevents the eating disorder from dividing and conquering and yeah. making it much more difficult for everybody involved. Yeah. And so, of course, so much of that is around the communication, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And being able to be on the same page. Um, I'm curious as well. Is there anything that you have learned from carers from your experience of doing so many of these workshops at this stage? Yeah, I mean, I, I have become so self-reflective um, through delivering these workshops. And, you know, again, the rich tapestry of having a group of carers and you always learn so much, don't you, from the different um, different carers. And I know that I still, there's still that writing reflex sometimes and, you know, that, I guess, verging on being the rhino. So this was, this was a long time ago. So back in the early days when I was delivering the workshops and there was a dad who, um, I guess he'd kind of been dragged along and he was, you know, he was, he was curious and he was listening, but we were, we got to the stage of kind of looking at the, you know, the detailed responses in the accommodating and enabling scale. And um, he always would rush in to clear up the kitchen after his daughter had had a binge. And I ended up being a bit rhino-like in the workshop in terms of trying to, you know, get him to reflect on, on the possibility of changing. Um, and he never came back. And so I learned, yeah, that was that was very early on. And I learned, oh, okay, that's I get that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And his wife would his wife still came and she would make up excuse after excuse why he wasn't coming back to the workshops. But I could reflect and say, Yeah, I was my writing reflex was kicking in and he didn't like it. And mm. that's okay. So yeah. he then experienced, and maybe he went away and reflected later on um, that he didn't like that kind of rhino response. But yeah, I'm I'm always learning from the carers as well. And you just see so many different dynamics all of the time, don't you? Yeah, you do. And that's one thing I learned from um Gillian Todd, you know, observing her running the workshops. She embodies the whole idea from the moment she enters the room to the moment it's finished. Um, and she's very open with the carers about that. And she says, you know, I, I'm going to annoy some of you. Um, I'm going to, you know, say the wrong thing. And, and she just, she's able to kind of hold it. And it's, yeah. it's such an important thing. And again, that is role modeling how to do that with yeah. the person who has the eating disorder. And, and that change comes about through a little bit of discomfort, doesn't it? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For the challenge yeah having those challenging when we're, whenever we're doing role plays um within the workshops and and you get that silence don't you and i'll say this isn't meant to be easy you know yeah. this is tough um but we learn when we do something that's tough we really learn from that yeah yeah it's so true so have i left anything out jenny is there anything else you'd like to say you know, if we had this conversation in six months time, I'm sure there would be another little dynamic or another little tale to tell. Um, but I think we've covered it. I think we have. OK, that's great. So finally, where can people go to find out more? So um, 
obviously, as you know, on my website, there's all of the worksheets. So you've got the four different worksheets worksheets within module three. This is the animal metaphor module. Um, and there's, I think I've made one video that goes with the, um, the, the advantages and the potential pitfalls. Um, and then there's also a video um, on my YouTube channel about the animal metaphors from the um, Succeed DVD as well. So um, there's various places that you can go to, to kind of find out more about the animal metaphors. That's fantastic, Jenny. Thank you so much. So there you have it. We hope that this episode is helpful for you and encourages you to reflect on yourself and your instinctive caring style. Remember, an important part of the new Maudsley skills is being able to role model behavior and behavior change for our loved one. If you have any questions, please email them to Ruby, putting new Maudsley Carer Skills podcast in the subject line to info at bodywise.ie. If we get any questions, we will endeavor to answer them in future podcasts. And we hope you'll join us for our next episode where we're going to focus on the most important skill in the new Maudsley Carer Skills Toolbox, which is communication skills, our ORS, O-A-R-S. And we hope you will join us to learn more. So until then, take care.